I'm Christina Gerakides, and we're committed to making the seemingly impossible possible. We stand at the intersection of the values of humanity with the value of technology. Inspire for Impact, the podcast, is a place where we have conversations with inspirational entrepreneurs, community leaders, and representatives of organizations who are boldly creating a future by design. The good, the bad, the warts, and the inspiration. We're leading the way to be the change we want to see in the world. Conversations that bring to light the magic that is happening on a daily basis all over the globe. And welcome everyone to another episode of Inspired for Impact, where we talk to the most amazing people about the impact that they're having in their communities, in their households, and on the globe and the planet. So today we are very excited to be speaking with Lyndall Hamwood, who is a social equity and DEI advocate. And I'm sure many of our viewers know what DEI advocate um, is, Lyndall, but can you give us your personal um, take and maybe a bit of your backstory about how you actually got there? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so the uh, definition of DEI has actually evolved for me as well over the years. So uh, DEI, uh, as some might know, uh, has been around for decades, uh, certainly in the corporate uh, sphere. Uh, And what that really means from a corporate perspective, it is your approach to uh, driving uh, diverse representation and the inclusion of those people within the organisation. They often come with targets and strategies and policies, uh, but that's a really kind of rigid way uh, to think about DNI and where that has evolved for me personally over the last few years uh, and where it really kind of evolves into this passion piece that I now have is that DEI more holistically is the approach that we can all take as individuals regardless of if we work in an organization or not it's the approach that we can take to become more inclusive curious open-minded in order to create more inclusive ideas societies and organizations I love the way in that terms you, of, sorry, I, I love the way that you include that curiosity um, in there because there's not many DI advocates, diversity, equity, and inclusion advocates um, that actually mm. bring that into the into the mix, and it is mm. such an important factor, isn't it? Oh my gosh! Without curiosity, and that's really that, that really has been a key observation for me over the last few years as well, is that we do tend to operate in these echo chambers because of the way we are raised and conditioned, and uh, a whole bunch of other kind of systems and factors that come into it. But really, without curiosity, we are limiting ourselves. We are limiting our potential uh, to connect and create ideas that we never knew existed. Um, so, yeah, curiosity is an inc- like is a really, really important value to me and, and a really important value to the success of DEI from a corporate perspective but an individual perspective as well. That's wonderful. So you mentioned in, in, our, in our pre-talks, um, you mentioned a series of aha moments uh, mm. and I'd love you to share that with our listeners. So when I refer to or the, the aha moments for me really started when I started my time with the Dream Collective and for those that don't know the Dream Collective they are a diversity and inclusion consultancy based in Sydney but they operate globally so I had the wonderful opportunity to work with and really integrate into the different cultures uh, around the world. So through the training programs that we conducted Some examples of those are inclusive leadership, uh, gender allyship, unconscious bias, and 
every time we run these programs, I could not believe the number of aha moments. Oh, I didn't realize I held these biases. Oh, I didn't realize my behaviors would make someone feel that way. And it really, to me, that's, it's almost like crisis point. Like why aren't, why aren't these skills and desire to learn uh, and awareness of these skills that help us become better people and become better leaders and operators in society? Why aren't these more prioritized or discussed or, um, you know, why are these skills only reserved for organizations with deep pockets? So, you know, which brings me to this other, you know, real passion piece of mine at the moment and something I'm really championing is, DNI doesn't need to be doesn't need to be through this really rigid lens that we currently have it in. It's so siloed. We can take accountability for how we show up in the world and how we include others, uh, and also how we open our minds to and challenge our thinking around why do I have this bias? What is what are my biases? Um, so those were oh, and. Another really key piece that stands out, actually, we commissioned uh, through a third-party research firm, uh, a gender, uh, excuse me, a gender equality um, uh, survey uh, of covering the 2,000 men across Australia, where we asked them for their opinions on gender uh, equality initiatives. Largely, men are becoming supportive, uh, as you would expect. Uh, it changes when you slice the data per generation, race, um, marital, children, all that. But the comments that I was seeing uh, in the qualitative responses, like I have a female colleague at work and she has a baby and I'm surprised at how uh, how much she's able to do her work. And, you know, these really dated notions around how capable women are largely but then even more so when women have children and I just I, it's we need to give them access and exposure first of all to the different demographics that they don't understand but also it needs to be self-led we need to have a desire to do better uh so yeah there are probably a couple of the key highlights where I'm like this this needs to change I'm hearing a lot um, of what you're saying come through. For me, it's emotional intelligence. Uh, and and mm. some, sometimes I think we've forgotten how to bring that in or, or it's almost like we've been depermissioned, if you like, to bring it in in some mm. instances in the workplace. So I, th I think mm. that heightened sense that um, what I'm hearing is let's bring more emotional intelligence into this. Let's not just live in the head uh, because that's quite often where, I mean, you know, I took my babies with me to work uh, until they were mm. probably six months old um, and mm. nobody bat wow. an eyelid or if they did, they did it behind my back and they didn't, you know, they didn't do it. And that was, that was <laughs> a little while ago. So, and I think things like that, um, I, I worked in a very encouraging uh, little work community uh, and I was able to do that and, I'm, I, and I feel for people that, that can't do that. But then that's not to say that it's right for everyone either, is it? We, even as mm. females, we need to be able to make our own choices. So it was my choice mm. to take them with me until six months old. Other people may choose mm. to not do that and it's being very respectful mm around those choices. How are you finding that? Like, so, you know, the pendulum often swings way too far one way sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. How are you finding mm -hmm. the pendulum swinging? Are we coming into an area of balance where we're actually hyper-personalising um, and asking people themselves what 
do these terms mean or do you think we're still mm. on the pendulum like really going from one extreme mm. to the other? Mm. Oh, gosh, it's a great question because and, and something else I really challenge people to do is uh, and another kind of thread of comments I would see either in these workshops or in the survey responses is I haven't seen this, therefore it is not true. Uh, therefore, uh, my response to you was going to be my social network and my professional network naturally include and invite people in that are open-minded and uh, that really don't hold these, you know, really dated stereotypes, although, you know, always dated, but uh, these stereotypes about people who don't understand. However, a piece of research came out recently, I'll find the source, uh, that found men between 18 and 40, I believe, uh, is the age bracket, are actually increasing in their ideas around what femininity and masculinity look like. So they are expecting women to be those more traditional gender stereotyped roles, feminine, domestic, uh, you know, doting, all of that stuff. And that really challenged what I believe and experience, which brings us to another phenomenon of, you know, homophily. So, you know, for anyone that doesn't understand homophily, it is this phenomenon that we attract essentially people that look and think and operate like we do in the world. And that's really another system that we need to challenge. Uh, so when I saw that research, it was, it was really disheartening. It was so disheartening. I thought we'd made so much progress. Um, and, you know, certainly, uh, you know, what I've seen over the last, uh, I guess, over five years is uh, acceptance, backlash, uh, and then as those, as men start to grow older and have children, they really do change their attitudes. So one of the key factors uh, in men changing um, behaviours, and I have ch taken this a little bit gendered at the moment um, because that is, that's historically where my experience lay, uh, but they do change their, their views when, uh, uh, when they have children. So, yeah, I mean, their, their experience and their views uh, about diversity changes over, over the course of a lifetime. Uh, and in terms of where we are today, gosh, yeah, I mean, it still gets backlash. But, but that's why I really want to challenge that. I want to challenge that. Diversity and inclusion is not, it's not just reserved. Um, and it can, it can feel a little bit exclusive, uh, you know, and that's certainly some of the comments that men say is diversity and inclusion only supports some demographics, but I feel excluded we don't want anyone to feel excluded. That's not its agenda. Um, but what we want is people to take personal accountability uh, for how they are showing up in the workplace and in society. So, yeah, I, I certainly see it going back and forth. We, we won't, and, and like anything does, right, uh, any, any complex system like diversity and inclusion uh, will always do so, just evolve. It's really interesting um, that you mentioned that. I had a, a conversation with a colleague it must have only been a month ago, uh, and he has, you know, they've just had their second child, and he said, you know, he said for all the talk around um, diversity, equity and inclusion, he said people look at me and go, oh, that's fantastic that you're actually, you know, that you take the kids one day a week, that you do this, that you do. He said, isn't that just my role as a parent? Why am I actually being singled out and congratulated um, for taking mm -hmm. kids or for cooking a meal? Or He said, that's what I do. He said that that's how I was, that's how I was brought up. It was very much equal basis. We were a partnership. He said, I don't understand mm -hmm. why I'm getting the accolades. Um, my partner still yeah. does, you know, probably the greatest share of the work 
no one's going, oh, isn't that wonderful that, you know, that you're doing all those things. Uh, he said, and I, I, don't, I don't want the accolade. I want people to see us um, operating as we should in that absolute equity line. Have you, have you had any experiences, any conversations around that? Yeah, I, I certainly, uh, I, the men in my life that have had children uh, in their, you know, in that kind of maturing stage, so what, in their 30s predominantly and then into 40s, yeah, absolutely, their opinion always changes about gender equality. Uh, and then, yeah, anecdotally, that's, that's certainly what we were seeing at TDC as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's a shame uh, we'll take it. <laughs> We've got to start from somewhere. But, uh, you know, again, it, it really, and, and, you know, what I would wrap this all up in is uh, an encouragement for people to, my ask would be to the people that have these views about, oh, how surprising that you do the cooking and the cleaning in equal measure, uh, I would certainly say, um, you know, just challenge where that comes from. Like ask yourself, there's a lot, there's a lot of self-awareness that needs to come into this if we're really going to change things. Uh, so yeah, yeah, certainly seeing a lot of that. So let's just move away from the gender, um, the gender conversation. Mm. Let's move into, um, into like a different field where there isn't diversity. So whether it's racist, whether it's ageist, what's the next most predominant category that you found um, in, in your work and in your research? Or, yeah, so next, and it actually, it actually changes uh, per market or, you know, per country that we were operating in. So in Australia, the next uh, really um, area of priority was or is, continues to be race, sometimes more so than gender. Uh, so for those that aren't uh, familiar uh, with Japan and why they do have that focus on age, that is because they do have a rapidly ageing population uh, and a rapidly decreasing uh, uh, number of people who are uh, recreating or um, uh, having children, essentially. Uh, so they need to focus on bringing that pool of people back into the workforce. Um, have I answered your question sufficiently? I, th I think there's, there's, a, there's an ending answer. Uh, <laughs> um, but I've got another one for you. So the mm. I've got all these, like, the, so these had become aha moments to me and I'm really um, interested in that mm. series of aha moments that you mentioned before. Uh, but we were having a conversation around my dinner table. My son's an engineer. His company were hiring uh, and they've got one female engineer and six male engineers. I don't know if I've got the, those ratios right, but it was one female engineer and, and many more male engineers uh, in this particular section. And the, the male owners, bosses, said, and we just want you to know that we're going to try and balance up these numbers that we're going to ask specifically for female um, engineer applicants. And the female at the table said, well, when I got this job, I want to know that I got this job because I was the best engineer for the job, not because I'm female and I really don't know. I appreciate what you're saying and what you're doing and how you're seeing things, but I'm not sure that I agree with what you're doing and what you're seeing mm -hmm. and how you're trying to handle things. Um, what's your take mm -hmm. on, on things like that? Yeah, look, um, it, it really has to be handled 
it's really in how you handle it, first and foremost. Uh, I would say without affirmative action, we wouldn't be here today. So some of the most successful com- companies that have achieved close to or their gender targets is because they have the quotas. If we lived in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to have quotas and targets. Um, but unfortunately, that's where that's where we are. We need to flip the scales um, because unfortunately there are systems that do uh, create barriers for anyone from, so women and underrepresented groups. Um, so if we're not addressing that, we will continue to operate in this, in this cycle of hiring people that look like us and think like us because we think they're the best person for the job. Meritocracy is a myth and I'd love to get into that. That's a whole nother... <laughs> That's probably another another uh, interview. Another oh another yeah. Story. Actually, let's put that. <laughs> that'll be on the on the cards. It, it is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I, I wonder if it was if it was not mandated because that's such a dodgy word to use these days. Um, but if it was if it was something where we didn't have to write our date of birth or our name, so name mm. potentially mm. hides gender and hides um, you know uh, um, our our backgrounds, our our cultural backgrounds. Uh, I wonder what the status would be on on how many people actually got to interview. Oh gosh, there's a yeah, there's a stack of uh, research on this actually uh, from all different corners of the earth around anonymizing uh, uh, CVs, anonymizing so um, pitching in VC. Uh, excuse me, uh, VC women in VC is a really common one as well, uh, and yeah, overwhelmingly. When you do uh, make these blinded CVs and resumes and uh, pitch decks, you get opportunities that didn't otherwise exist, for sure. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so we've mm. called the title of this um, episode "Collective Intelligence is Our Untapped mm. Superpower." Tell me what oh, your yeah. thoughts are about collective intelligence and what are our untapped superpowers. Yeah, yeah, this is, I've become totally obsessed uh, with this topic at the moment. And I think this is really, this is the gap that DNI as it stands today isn't currently filling. So we are looking at diversity from a purely demographic perspective, which is not all bad, but it's not all good because what that really limits is people that don't, it feels, it, it makes those feel that don't exist in that in the prioritized group, they feel ostracized. And I mean, they have, they have, you know, been riding these benefits for as long as we can probably, uh, you know, think back to. However, if we want to make drastic change, we need people from all corners of society to understand that diversity of thought and perspective will completely unlock <clears throat> your ideas, your organisations, the societies uh, that we live and work in. Uh, but what's happening at the moment is, uh, and one of the one of the principles that uh, Matthew Syed uh, talks about in this incredible book uh, that I highly recommend to anyone that's uh, interested in, not just diversity and inclusion, because I think that, that, t- that term always needs to be, we need to throw that out and rethink it, in my view anyway. Uh, what he speaks about in his book, Rebel Ideas, is that we are tackling problems, complex problems, with linear thinking. So an example would be governments that look the same, that are creating policies and legislative for people that they do not understand. 
that is largely what's happening around the world. People are creating ideas and problems to solutions that they do not understand and they do not have the desire, it looks like, to understand uh, the lived experiences of those that these will be directly impacting. So they are applying linear, simple thinking to these incredibly complex problems. Uh, And that is also happening on a much more micro scale as well. In the workplace, anything that has to do with people, policy, anything that might get messy, we are applying simple thinking to complex challenges and that is our downfall and it is also our biggest area of opportunity as well so the the urgency and the kind of ask here is we need to start to take we need to start to be more curious in the workplace in our conversations in our family home we need to start becoming aware of what are the biases i have uh am i where do i sit on the wheel of privilege what am I doing to understand the experiences of those that I don't understand? Uh, and I understand that for, for a lot of people, they don't care to change. This is easy. It feels nice. I can coast through. I wouldn't change anything about my life. But it is my very genuine opinion that we have a responsibility to lift those that do not have the same privileges in life that we do. So when I speak about collective intelligence, I'm speaking about opening my mind to the different possibilities and opportunities and conversations uh, that I could be having with those that I would probably have judged. Uh, not not a, an overt or not an um, intentional judgment, but because of these um, inherent biases that we have. If you can ask people that are listening to this podcast to change one behaviour, or, you know, or to, to think of something or to have, you know, I, I think dinner conversations are absolutely crucial. Mm. I think everything starts, starts with a conversation and whether that's with your work colleagues or, or whatever. If you could ask people to take one action, though, not just, not just start mm. a conversation because, hey, everyone started mm. a conversation, what might that action be to, to correct mm. or to maybe not correct the path because the path is where we are and, and, and saying to correct it is a, is a judgment anyway. But how do we, mm. what's the first step that people could take to go, hey, guys, DI, it's a real thing and let's, let's do what we can to, to mm. create that equity and the inclusion mm. and the diversity? Um, what, would you, what would you recommend to people or where do they look to find what that might be for them? Great question. I would say it, I'll give you one, but it has two parts. (laughs) Uh, It's to think about your thinking. Um, I think largely the people that are, because there's a lot of people out there doing the work, a lot of people out there doing a lot of wonderful work in DNI. More often than not, they do, it is because they have that lived experience that wants that that really drives them to challenge a system. The people that aren't really doing a lot of work, DNI, the people that are really benefiting from these systems of oppression. So, what I would say to those people is, think about your thinking. Uh, how how what are your biases? And I bring this back. I, I I say biases, and I'm saying biases often because that was the that was the bridge moment for me to go, oh, my gosh, the way I was viewing the world was so narrow. Uh, So understand what your biases are. There's this wonderful Harvard IAT or implicit association test. Uh, I think it's 
20, over like 20 million people have done it around the world. So it, so it aggregates all of this wonderful data to really show that we have biases against people that don't have white skin and we have biases around people that aren't cisgender. We have biases with, um, of people that are not heterosexual, uh, you know, and think about if you're comfortable with that. Understand what those are and think about if you're really comfortable with that. I'm not. Uh, and then once you understand where you sit on that spectrum, uh, pause. Pause before you act. Pause to consider, is this or is my opinion the most valuable one? Am I missing an important perspective in this idea, belief, idea, uh, excuse me, idea, belief, um, action I'm about to take. So it really comes around to understanding where you are, reflecting. And I know that we spoke about what are the actions. It's self-reflection largely. Uh, and there's a lot of wonderful, uh, a, a lot of wonderful material out there that I'd be so happy to share, uh, as well as my own points, uh, that I've put together. Um, you know, yeah. We'd I, could, I could go on, but I... <laughs> we'd, Lina, we'd love to share those in the notes um, for the podcast. So if you would like um, to share, put in the notes, please send it to um, to the wonderful Haley, who's working madly behind the scenes. Uh, and, you know, we'd, we'd love to put those um, into the into the list. And I think you're spot on. Like the more you think about the, that self-reflection, uh, so once you uncover what your own personal biases are, uh, and even like sometimes you you think you don't have them, and then you realise um, that you do. Or even the attitude. I, I think we shared a story where. Um, so my background's Greek. Just for those of you that can't tell by the name Jerakides or the way I look or anything like that. Um, but I think I shared with you the story about my mother, my sister, and I taking a walk around a Sydney suburb, and this gorgeous little blondie came up to the gate and said, "G'day, Wogs," uh, and I thought it was funny. I laughed, you know. And my mother looked at me and said please don't laugh, it's not funny. Imagine the conversations that are happening for him to pick up that connotation to, to say that. And then I just I, I said, I do wonder then what the conversations are around the dinner table and in what context are they? Are they ha-ha or are they cruel and harsh? And so, yeah, I think very, very mindful of even my bias um, against a comment, a comment like that which wasn't a typical, you know, I wasn't offended or I, I actually thought it was quite funny and then until I realised where potentially the background came from. Um, I've got one last, mm. one last mm. question uh, uh, th that I, I'd love your uh, opinion on. So at the moment we've got, and, I, and you, you mentioned it, you, you alluded to it before, we've got all these policymakers and we've got people writing things and discussing things and, um, and, and you know, people are very quick to write something down uh, a little bit slower to put some actions against it. At the moment mm -hmm. we're seeing a few things around the world um, related to, to different, you know, things that are happening around the world uh, and they'll say we're going to do this without any substance built in mm. behind it. Have you come mm. across many organisations that go, hey, we're very much into diversity, equity and inclusion, but they don't actually have a policy or they've got a policy and it's in the bottom drawer or they've got, you know, a, a policy and it's in the bottom drawer and nobody ever talks about DEI. Um, have you, A, come across many organisations? I know you would have come across organisations like that, many organisations like that. Mm. And how do those people shift from tokenism mm. to true mm. action and execution? Oh, gosh. Uh, so speaking from direct experience, we can tell 
from the first inquiry, from the first conversation, when DNI isn't truly a priority. Uh, things like we have $5,000 for a speaker to speak on International Women's Day, and it doesn't align to any other piece of the DNI pie outside of that. Or uh, we only have X amount of budget for a 30-minute unconscious bias training or inclusive leadership training. When you speak to them about the budget, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not from a place of greed. It's about how much of a priority is this in your organisation. So I would say a large number of organisations that we either first spoke with or did slightly engage with uh, did have did have this real piecemeal approach to deny for the organizations that have really changed uh incredibly um I don't know if we, if I could say their name. So they're one of the biggest brands in the world, uh, one of the biggest um, FMCG brands. And since engaging us two years ago, uh, they weren't making much progress in their uh, DNI. So their area of focus were uh, advancing women in leadership into leadership roles. Uh, and since uh, engaging TDC, and you know, for those that um, you know, across this, I'm no longer there, uh, but a lot of my DNI experience uh, comes from there. So uh, over the two years that they engaged TDC, uh, I think it was you know, I've had an increase of like 30% women uh, to um, senior leadership roles. Uh, that would be one shining example of the work that can happen if you truly invest and integrate from bottom down. Of course, it needs everything needs to come as well and have the buy-in from a grassroots or you know, a bottom-up approach. I hope I said top-down earlier. I meant top-down. Great. Um, and that's exactly what happened. There are key factors to driving success. A lot of organisations don't realise it. Uh, and uh, that is, unfortunately, it, DNR is going to be a long journey uh, for them. But um, what I would also say there is when DNI does come from a purely, the rhetoric around DNI only like a year ago, I haven't heard it much over the last 12 months, but the rhetoric around DNI was largely, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, we need to invest in DNI because it's better for business outcomes. And DNI that is that that's D, that's an approach to DNI that it's largely rooted in a capitalist agenda, and you will never move the needle if that is your main reason for or that's your main why. So, and I actually have seen that changing as well. Organisations are genuinely coming forward to say we care about our people and we want to change. And this now is a priority. Uh, I, I believe COVID had an impact uh, on that for sure. But yeah, yeah, certainly different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I love that. So it's not only dig deep um, into that personal reflection and have a look at where your biases may lie, but as an organisation, also have a look where your biases may lie and also what's the action that you are really taking uh, and be accountable. Well, it's been absolutely amazing speaking with you. I would love to say, please come back and let's have a further conversation because uh, there's so much to discuss around this and other topics as well um, with your areas of expertise. Thank you so much um, for joining us and enjoy the rest of your European holiday. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks, Christina. Uh, and if you've enjoyed this episode of Inspire for Impact, please share it with your colleagues and friends. Please like us um, and subscribe and leave comments. And we're really happy to hear from you. So until the next podcast or until the next time you have your ears on with us, take care.